Thank you for tuning in. We had a great discussion today with Anthony Fasano. He's a professional engineer turned engineering coach, among so many other things. We talk about the importance of career path development, especially for our younger engineers, and the how-tos of engineer and manager training, and how a lack of prioritization and consistency of either directly undermines our efforts to engage and retain our best talent. On the flip side, we talk about what makes a great manager and what great firms are doing today to grow and succeed and not fall victim to one of the biggest frustrations expressed by our younger engineers and hypos, which we will reveal. This episode is another great example of how our dialogue format helps to dig into the issues that matter for our success as leaders and organizations, both today and over the long term. So without any further delay, let's do it. Welcome to AEC Leadership Today, the podcast designed exclusively for engineering, architecture, and construction industry leaders who want to stay relevant and effective. The show takes on the most pressing issues facing the AEC industry and was created to help you and your firm grow and prosper in the 21st century. The host of AEC Leadership Today is Pete Atherton, a professional engineer and former AEC principal and owner turned AEC coach and consultant. And now, take a break from your never-ending to-do list and welcome Peter Atherton. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another great episode of AEC Leadership Today. This is a show where you and I get to talk with industry insiders and subject matter experts on the issues that matter most, so let's go. Today we'll be talking with Anthony Fasano, founder of the Engineering Management Institute, among other things, which we'll be getting into, uh, and we'll be discussing what firm leaders need to know about today's engineers, particularly those who are newer and up and coming. Welcome to the podcast, Anthony. Pete, thanks for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Great. Well, let's start by sharing a little bit about yourself. Um, you know, you have built a huge following, have two podcasts, write a column for ASCE called Ask Anthony. You speak, you coach, you train engineers, you train managers um, in the U.S. and around the world. You wrote a best-selling book, Engineer Your Own Success. All that being said, that's not how you started. And um, <laughs> You know, could you share a little bit about like how you did get started and when you decided to uh, help engineers career, engineer careers versus engineering projects? Yeah, sure, Pete. So I went to school for civil engineering. I have a bachelor's and a master's. And when I started as a civil engineer, one thing that I knew, and I think a lot of engineers think the same way. In fact, you and I had a, another podcast discussion about this is I wanted to become a partner, an owner, a leader in the firm. Like that was a definite for me. And so I started looking at the partners and leaders in, in my firm and in the industry kind of through some of my association work. And what I realized was something that was a real clear pattern was that the leaders in the field, in addition to their technical skills, they had really good management skills. They could communicate effectively. They can go out there and network and bring in new business. They could delegate, which is hard for technical professionals to do. And so I just made a commitment kind of to myself and my own career to develop those skills. And in doing so, my career really started to take off. And one day my boss came up to me and said, Anthony, we love what you're doing. We'd like for you to go around to our other offices and train the other engineers on these skills. And my first reaction was, I don't think I can do that. I'm so an how engineer. Many, how many years <laughs> into your career was that when you got sort of tapped on the shoulder? That was probably seven years or so, roughly, seven, eight right. years. So that's still fairly young to say, hey, why don't you go train some other people? Yeah, it was young and it really caught me off guard. And But again, it reemphasized to me how important these skills were and that the company recognized that. And so I took a piece of paper like any good engineer. I sketched out a you know curriculum, a good framework that I could follow. And I went around to the other offices and basically two things happened. One, I really loved doing it. I loved helping these engineers become better at these skills that I know aren't that easy for us to develop. But secondly, and really most importantly at the time for the company was that they saw better performance, better team communication, better client correspondence. There were things happening. And so for me, I realized at that point that the coaching speaking training was something I wanted to do on a more regular basis. And so I enrolled in executive coaching school in the evenings and I started doing Toastmasters and speaking as much as I could. And I worked with our HR head at the time 
to put together an internal coaching and training program that we administered. And after doing that for like maybe nine months or a year, it kind of hit me that if there's this many professionals in this one engineering firm that struggle with these skill sets, there has to be thousands of them out there. And that's why in 2009, I decided to kind of take the leap. I left my engineering job and I have traveled around the country since. I wrote the book and I've been to over 30, 35 states and just been trying to focus on building content for engineers to help them succeed in doing training. And, and when I say doing training, the important thing to know about training for engineering professionals, and I think your listeners will appreciate this, is that it's very difficult to send an engineer to a conference and to have them come back to work and then actually use what they learned. Because you and I both know, and everyone listening to this podcast knows that you get sucked back into the vortex of all your projects and you're done. That, that information goes on the shelf. It gets filed away in a PDF. You never look at it again. And so what I focused on, what we focused on here at EMI, and I've got a great team here to help me with all those things you mentioned before, is training that works, training that transfers back to the jobs. And so you have to be able to use training in your everyday conversations, in your project phone calls and project meetings. And if, if we don't give them the content into frameworks that they can then use it immediately, then I don't, you know, personally, I don't think that we've done our job. And so, so, you know, when I tell people we do training management and leadership training for engineering professionals, we really spend a lot of time on the design of that training to make sure that you're maximizing your ROI and that individual's actually building better habits in their skill sets with training. Right. And, and then how, I mean, let's kind of dive into that a little bit. How do you think it's best to deliver that? I mean, is it sort of online module in place in person through modules? Is it through sort of peer-to-peer learning? I mean, is there an ideal strategy you think as it relates to sort of management and communication skills to deliver that type of training? I think what's most important is that it's delivered in a way that is bite-sized over time. So that could be, and we do, when we work with a company, we start with an assessment because we want to understand what they need, like how their people like to learn and what their preferences are. But essentially what it's going to look like is there may be in person, there may be live webinars. We do a lot of reinforcement videos. There's different things. You have to keep hearing about the information over time and it slowly has to help you build new habits. The, the main thing is that it can't be anything that's short-lived and kind of one-and-done type of things. We're not into that stuff because nobody becomes better at management, leadership, business development in the course of a couple of days. I, I agree with that. And, that, and that's what I've seen. I, I, and that's the, the training that I'm involved with and the training that I see that is truly effective. And it does follow that 70-20-10 rule where, you know, 70% of, of the, tra- in order to learn a new subject or really become, be able to master a skill, you know, 70% is on the job training and it's using things that you've learned. 20% is sort of that one-to-one coaching and mentoring of how to maybe apply that and get some feedback. And then 10% is outside learning the new material originally. So that really is that sort of on the job, you know, 10%, I'm getting this new information. I I have someone on my team, you know, whether they be a direct mentor or supervisor or somebody else who's like a coach that helps me sort of frame that up. That's, you know, 20% of my time. Um, And then, but most of the time I'm on the job, I'm using it and I'm figuring out what question to ask Ness and how how to reuse it. And it sounds like, you know, that's the model, but I think, you know, that's the model that works scientifically, but particularly for financial and technical centric folks. I mean, right. we are delivering projects and learning on the project. Yeah. And the other thing that I'll, I'll mention real quick, which I think is important, and it's something that we've been thinking about a lot lately is in addition to the training and stuff, we do create a lot of free content as you suggested. And in fact, we just started our third podcast, the Structural Engineering Channel, which is a more actually one of our, a few podcasts or content that we do that's technical. But We've built such a large platform at this point with so many millions of downloads of our podcasts and subscribers and and followers that now we're trying to think of ways to use the platform, you know, to deliver value back to the industry. So on our podcast, the Civil Engineering Podcast, we just launched or we're launching this week a Women in Civil Engineering uh, series. And just by posting it on LinkedIn, I'm getting 100, already 100 potential guests. But the point of it is that we know that we need to continue to have more diversity in engineering 
And I know from working with some companies that they're trying to get more women in leadership positions. And so I thought that the podcast platform is a good way to highlight some of these women that are doing great things in civil engineering. So, and, and we're also looking at some other STEM initiatives. So the point is, is that when I started this podcast, I don't know how many years ago, I remember hitting publish on the first episode. I was in a hotel room, believe it or not, in Anchorage, Alaska. And I published that first episode. I didn't know what was going to come out of it, but what's come out of it has been a, a massively big platform that I now realize that we can use it to do very good things. And we're trying to figure out how to do that. Right. Well, let me just a, a little sidebar here. I interviewed Stephanie Slocum uh, on this. She wrote a book, She Engineers, truly yep. impressive professional. And I'd recommend bring her on to your, your podcast and probably, you know, others too. But I know I, I had a great conversation with her. Uh, very impressive um, again, professional in the industry as it relates to really championing uh, I, um, the ideas and the concepts and the path and the support system for today's female engineers. So that being said, so, you know, diversity and inclusion is such a big issue today um, for, for good reasons. I mean, from business development reasons, um, for execution, for innovation, for, you know, being able to attract and retain talent. Who, who are your demographics? I mean, do you have information? Like, are, are you servicing the future generations? Um, and does that sort of um, align with, you know, just the general um, diversity, whereas, you know, the millennial and the Gen Z populations are twice as diverse uh, in the U.S. Um, as, say, the, the boomer generation. But, but what, what do your, your demographics look like? Who's your ideal um, sort of customer or um, consumer of your content? So consumer of our content is wide-ranging. I've had CEOs tell me they listen to the podcast every week, and I have interns and college or students telling me that they listen to the podcast every week. So I know that we have quite a bit of diversity in terms of who listens, consumes, watches our videos. However, from our training side of things, most of our training we do for, for companies, companies hire us, they bring us in to do custom training, or we have some regular programs that we run. But I would say a lot of our content in our training would be geared towards, I mean, we definitely do a lot of stuff based around management, leadership, and skills under that umbrella. But we have programs that are for young or aspiring managers. And then we also do some high level work. In fact, I just did a, we just did a custom program for a company where we did level 100, 200, 300. So we had like basic management skills for their younger staff, then, you know, more management skills for their uh, middle of the road staff, middle managers, et cetera. And then we had like some business development and other training for the executives. So again, we, we kind of, kind of run across the different experience levels, but what I, what I try to preach to engineering companies, which I think your listeners will find important, is you need to start at a young age and build management skills, people skills into your staff, into your culture early on because those are the companies that are going to be ahead of the game because when you have a manager who's been managing for 10 years and you're starting to think about teaching them people skills, you know, it's late for that and you've probably already lost a lot because of that. And there's, there's that saying out there that people don't quit companies, people quit managers or they quit their bosses or they quit their supervisors. And so by starting to train your team on people skills and interacting with people and managing projects and clients at, an, at a young age, you can avoid a lot of those problems later on down the road. And so that's kind of big, been my big thing since I've started doing this is preaching to companies and preaching to engineers. The earlier you start, the better with right. these types well, of skills. And I think there's a kind of a multiple reasons for that. You say, I mean, because people, you know, can sort of self-select. Um, I want to be a manager. I really understand the people aspect of things, or I'm attracted to the people aspect of things in addition to my sort of technical skill set. Or, you know, I, this is something I really need to learn. So you can sort of figure that early on versus I'm in a manager position and I'm grinding through my team and not really connecting with the client in ways that I should be because I don't have that management skill training. You know, I mean, the other um, key aspect here is, you know, it's not necessarily only like just what people say, but I mean, Gallup year after year and, um, you know, has the, has the statistic and they say it's their single most profound statistic ever that, you know, um, 
70% of employee engagement, the variance is based on somebody's manager or supervisor. So it it plays a huge role in engagement and all the benefits of engagement. You know, that being said, sort of taking it to, I'm curious at what you think about when you do train managers, you know, Gallup also reports that, you know, two thirds or 67% of managers uh, are not engaged themselves. So in some respects, you know, it's it's a very busy position. Um, you know, I've always said that, you know, management is sort of the intersection of uh, profit and loss, the intersection of client service, uh, the intersection of employee engagement, and the intersection of risk management. So there's a lot going on at the manager level. I mean, are, are you finding um, when you talk to managers and you train managers, uh, are they engaged? Are they feeling overwhelmed? Well, the biggest problem in my opinion, in the engineering industry, in terms of management and manager development, some of the kind of items that you just alluded to is engineers become managers because they're great engineers, not because they're great managers, right? So, hey, you did great on this project. You're doing great. We're going to make you a manager. Here you go. You know, carry on. (laughs) And it's like, okay, so I did good managing all these projects. Now you're telling me I'm a manager, but I don't know what that is and I don't know how to do it. And unless you've either already cultivated them for that and started doing the training early and built a culture around, as I said, interaction and engagement and people, or you're going to have a program that immediately can introduce them to management and get them on board with it and start to teach them, the odds are against them. And the odds are that they're going to have problems with some of these things that we've just mentioned. So, you know, that's the thing. Other industries, you can go and get someone who's a manager, a leader potentially and bring them in but you can't do that in engineering because an engineer has to be the person on that project because they're the engineer. They understand it. So I think that that's one challenge that we face in engineering. And I think that the only way to get around it, like I said, is, you know, get to people early, teach people early, um, give them opportunities to interact early. You know, why not bring them to meetings with you even when they're not a manager yet? so that they can start to see how to interact with people. I know that they are billable and it's going to take some time, but it, in the end, in the long run, it's going to be worth it. I mean, when I was practicing as a civil engineer, at one point in my career, I just volunteered to go to the, some of the planning board meetings at night. I asked my company, but it wasn't in the budget on these projects, but I wanted to go anyway and just watch and see how my boss presented in front of the client, in front of the town board and answered questions and because I did that, when, the t- when it was my time, I was already prepared and I was much better than someone who just would have gotten kind of thrust into that role. So I really think that doing anything on the job with your younger staff, getting them involved with you and around you and around your other leaders and seeing them in action is invaluable. I mean, you know, yes, you should do training and give them you know, very specific training classes and things of that nature, but there's nothing better than on the job training. Right. Well, and it's a gradual descent. I mean, you know, it's like, look at how things move forward. So yes, there's, you know, there's always the pressures of, of billability and utilization and, you know, time versus money. And, and that's, you know, as our industry evolves, I mean, we're going to be selling more value. It won't necessarily be the hours. I mean, we can scale on technology, we can do different things, but right now it's largely a, uh, a utilization rate driven business. Um, but I mean, think about the progression. So an engineer is going to move into management. They'll never lose their technicals. There's always this evolution of I'm an engineer manager for a while. Um, and even when somebody is most of the time, you know, a manager quickly, the, mo- the model today is doer seller. For most, right? I mean, so you then you're moving into, you know, an, another level of, of communication and being able to manage clients. So, I mean, I think it's in an early, the investment not only pays off a project manager, but it pays off as someone's an aspiring principal and certainly in the doer seller. I mean, you've got to manage a lot at that point. So I think it's, it's an investment early and actually the, the, the payoff is huge late, but the actual cost of investing with a few hours a month or whatever it's going to take and the on-job mentoring, you know, the different aspects that are really going to build that relationship and the culture, it, it's sort of pennies compared to the payoff later on when you do have sort of folks who can communicate. Yeah. And I think that that's a big difference between some of the really great companies out there today and the ones that aren't as great is that they don't overlook that short-term investment. 
right? They get hung up on that and they want everyone to be billable hundred percent of the time. And, you know, you can't take the time to go on a meeting with someone because we need you in the office. And I get all that stuff, but someone's people in, in these companies that are great, they see those things and they say, no, no, we need to take the time to invest in these people because in a couple of years, they're going to be at that, that meeting on their own. And our, our projects are going to be in the balance because of that. And right. so how do you want them to be able to handle that? So, Right. And I look at it, let's talk, I'm not necessarily naming names, but I do, you know, want to dig into that, you know, what, what good companies do and what great companies do as it relates to our industry and, and it gets to investing. Cause I, I look at it, I mean, we're, you know, we're real busy as an industry right now. I mean, you know, there's more work than people and, you know, we're busy, we're consumed and we need to get things out. So, but you know, there's the difference between important and urgent and, you know, th there's all kinds of issues that we deal with as leaders. But at the end of the day, there's a little bit of, well, blah, 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 you're the leader. Like you need to figure it out, not just today, but you need to figure it out and set yourself up and the, all the stakeholders and the shareholders and everybody up for success tomorrow. You know, the, tomorrow's projects and, and a possible recession. I mean, there's a lot of things going on, but how do you see some of the great companies really taking advantage of, um, investing today while the going's good versus being just consumed with the busy? Yeah, that's a good, good question. And what I see with some of the really good companies right now in the AE world is that what they do is that they focus on things like culture, training, um, career pathing stuff. And I've been doing a lot of this with companies now where I don't just go in and do a training program. We'll design a training program, but we'll help them match it up to like career paths for their engineers. Because what young AE professionals want more than anything else is they want career growth opportunities. It's the number one thing, more than salary, more than title, more than anything else. I know because I've asked thousands of them and they've told me that. And so part of your comp building your company is investing in these people for sure, but it's showing them that they have a career with you. Here's the path we've laid out for you. We're going to provide you with training and support along the way, and we're going to help you get to that place where you want to go in our firm. And that dynamic is evident in great AE firms because they are creating that path for their staff to see that's where I'm going and I'm going to work hard to get there and my company is going to take me along for the ride and support me. And so I think culture, training, career paths, thinking of all those things is important. And quite frankly, we know that one of the biggest challenges right now in the AE world is recruiting and trying to find good talent and developing programs and systems like this within your company will act like a magnet to bring people into you. Because number one, when you're sitting across the table interviewing someone and you tell them, well, we've just created this great leadership program that's going to help support you all the way through till you're you know, a partner in the firm, they're like, where do I sign up for that, number one? And number two, when your firm has programs like that, engineers talk to their other friends, colleagues, and associations, and they let people know that. And so, you know, that's what I see great firms doing is really – spending the time to think about their culture and how it promotes career growth and how they're making that, uh, you know, and communicating that and having those dialogues with their staff. Right. And that's particularly important, you know, during the first, you know, 15 years of someone's career where they're trying to master a craft and make a name. I mean, it is all about professional growth and development and some other aspects, but I mean, any thoughts on why, even if, you know, there's a leadership team that gets it, you know, we should be, they get it intellectually. Yes, we get right. it. We should be doing it. And maybe they start off, you know, doing a, a project management training and add in some people skills and they do it one time. And the intent is we're going to do it every six months or every year. And two and a half years has come by. I mean, what, what do you think are some of the stumbling blocks um, for, for leadership? who knows they should be and want to, it's just they're not necessarily walking the talk. Yeah, so there's two key stumbling blocks that I see all the time. One of them is consistency. If you lack any consistency at all, you're going to lose. So meaning if you, you know, do the program one way one time and one way another time, or if you put part of your managers through the management program and not the other managers through it, you're going to lack that culture consistency across the firm and how people communicate, you know, or one group is going to be upset that they didn't get training like the other group. So consistency is really important. And the second thing is accountability. 
if there's no accountability built into your programs, then people aren't going to be accountable. They're not going to be held accountable and then they're not going to do it. I mean, it's just, again, it goes back to what I talked about earlier. If someone has to choose on working on a project or calling a client as opposed to finishing their project management module or people management module for that month, and no one's going to check if they did the module or not, then they're not going to do the module. So as silly as it sounds, we just really need to hold people accountable. And that's why in all of our training programs, when we work with companies, we do. We have a simple assignments or simple things that they have to do to forward the action, which can, again, help them to practice the skills on the job. So... And really what I hear a lot of times, Pete, is I get a phone call from an executive that says, you know, Anthony, we tried to do this management training program on our own internally. And the guy or gal gave him the training, got too busy and they didn't keep up with it. Or, you know, we weren't able to do it consistently and it's just not working. And so I get those questions all the time. And, and the reason is, is because it's not done consistently. People are busy. And if you, you know, say we're going to, take this guy in our firm, he's going to run our internal management training program. And then, and then he gets a big project. The whole training is done. Yeah, and so, I see that a lot. I mean, I hear that and I see that. I mean, and that's, I think the benefit of having an outside consultant, at least be part of it and make sure, you know, be responsible for the curriculum and customizing that and be there to initiate the training and even go through the training once, twice, three times and build a team of people who can then take it over you know, at, over time, but it's someone who's coming up the ranks and, and maybe won't get sort of taken away. It's not one person, it's multiple people who can then take the training after it's been facilitated, you know, one, two or three times, however it is best. I mean, that seems, you know, we do have this mentality a little bit in the AEC space. Um, we're smart, we can figure this out, we can do it ourselves. And you know what, absolutely you could. But what's the best use of your time? I mean, co-facilitating you know, training, you know, leaders being up there, absolutely beneficial. But to do it all yourself, knowing the consistency is key. I mean, I think I, I, I see and I hear that a lot of the stumbling blocks too. It's, you could do it, but is it the best use of your time? Yeah, and I just, I just for an example, I just did a training with a company, six month long training programs, probably 30 people at different experience levels. And the training went great. We got great feedback. They got great feedback from their staff and, you know, talking to them about what we're going to do next and how we're going to continue to keep it going. And their kind of response to me was, we loved it. Everyone loved it. We're going to take six months to let them work on some of these skills. And then we want to have you come back in the beginning of next year. And then we'll do something else and, you know, get the pro. And what I said to him, because he said like our budget's out for this year. So let them work on it themselves and then we'll bring you back in. And the, what happens is what people don't realize in that situation is you're going to lose all your momentum because now you have 30 people that you're going to say, go do these on your own with no outside support at all from anybody. Um, I mean, there might have some internal support and I'm not saying it won't work for this firm specifically, but the odds of those people keeping it up are very minimal. So you're not putting them in a good position to succeed. And so, you know, I kind of wanted to just tell them and I did in some ways say, listen, if you use any other budget you can get to do any kind of support for them over the next six months to keep the momentum going, your overall ROI is going to be way better off than if you trust people on their own to develop these type of skills on top of their project workload. Right. Well, and, and I, and I see that, you know, that, that, that can happen two ways. I mean, one, you mentioned the accountability, sort of the self, you know, the, the trainee accountability, which I think is a big deal. Almost as much, if not a bigger deal, are the supervisors and the leadership accountability. You know, it's partners holding themselves accountable um, and to each other of, listen, we've invested in this training. We know how important it is for our, you know, uh, younger hypos and, and project managers to get this training. Are we holding ourselves accountable and each other accountable that, that they're getting this done? We're creating the capacity, you know, it's part of their performance review. It's part of our quarterly discussions. You know, we're from the top down making sure that this investment has an ROI to it. Um, and not that they just get busy or we're modeling behavior that inconsistent with the training we just gave them. And it's not like, you know, it's just, it's just, we have to be mindful of that aspect. Um, and so yeah. I, I think that's a, that's a, a big deal, you know, too, as, as it relates to accountability. I mean, I think the worst thing that you can do, Pete, as an, as an AE company is to continue to tell your staff that you're going to support them and get, and then you don't provide them any of that support. And that's what you're saying is accountability. Like if they're not, if they're saying things but not doing things, 
then they're not holding themselves accountable. And the staff sees right through that. And then as soon as they get an eye, and there's plenty of opportunities available in today's marketplace, they're just going to find one that's better and take it. So, you know, AE leaders really need to commit their time, energy, and effort to creating these supportive frameworks for their staff to be able to build and grow to the point where they're not going to want to go anywhere because they've got great projects, they've got great people around them, and they're being supported, and that's what they really want. Right. And, and uh, you know, I, 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 I've, I can't tell you I haven't met, you know, a, a leader or a manager who really has the best intentions. And if given the time um, and attention that they could oversee this and, and have it happen, because they're, I mean, th- there's a lot of really impressive people in our industry. It's just a matter of we just get busy and consumed and we're writing proposals and, and we're doing all that effort. And that's an analogy that I share, you know, quite a bit, you know, working with, you know, that there's the talent side and the client side. And, you know, really over the last 25 years, you know, we've had three pretty significant recessions in our, that hit our industry. We had the early 90s, we had the dot-com, and then obviously the Great Recession. And there's been so much push on um, client development, um, the client experience, and being better doer sellers. And all that is absolutely important because we are getting commoditized in some ways. And so we have to do more and more of that. But I think we've become pretty attuned on making sure that we don't start something with a client or prospect and not finish it. You know, we're always maintaining those relationships. We're getting much better at it. It's almost the same thing. What we've learned on the client side, we just have to now apply on the talent side. So as we want to, you know, all the work it's going to take to, to obtain a client, we need to attract talent the same way. All it takes to retain a client we just got to do that the same way with our talent. So it's almost like we've already learned the skills um, and put the right priorities in place. We just almost have to mirror that and just focus on the talent. So it's almost not new skills. It's just right. new areas of focus. Yeah. Refocusing your energy in the right places. So is there, so let's shift a little bit. Let's talk about um, some of the myths um, that you might see um, as it relates to sort of the younger generations um, and what some of their wants are. I mean, it, is it truly different today than it was, you know, five, 10, 15 years ago? I mean, do engineers kind of, are they, are they coming out wanting the same things or, or is it different? I mean, I definitely think it's different. I mean, I think that we all need to be open to things being different and being able to flex and move with them. However, I mean, I think that if a company is rigid, and stuck in its old ways, they're going to be in trouble with the new workforce because they, they do want different things and, you know, a lot more work-life balance, a lot more things of that nature, flexible work schedules, things of that nature. But what I, what I often tell people is that there are really hard workers, but you need to help provide them again, a path, some clarity around their career path, let them know you're going to support them. That's what I found. I mean, I've worked with younger people in our industry, interns, and they really amaze me of what they're capable of, but you have to kind of challenge them, give them something to do and show them the path. And I think they will work very hard. So I think it's a matter of, again, it comes down to kind of management and motivation of people and how you work with them. And and part of it is going to be recognizing that things are different these days and people do want different things and have different personal and career goals and that you can eventually, you know, kind of navigate and figure out. But at the end of the day, most of the engineering students that I've met and the interns that I've worked with are super motivated and they can get a lot of stuff done, but it's up to the manager that's working with them and the the firm that's working with them to put them again in that atmosphere for success. Right. And I, and I, you know, it's kind of an interesting, so, you know, we, I think it's, it's a three-level approach. So if you have someone who is really motivated and has high potential, I mean, you know, coming out of school or, or newly out of school, it's, we have to do a ton to teach them technically. I mean, there's so much we don't learn in school that, you know, all the, all the, the gray areas technically. I mean, that's a huge commitment. Um, and everything that you've shared about, you know, the people and the management skills. But the other aspect, um, and this gets into to leadership, that, you know, as someone sort of transitioning from a technical role into a manager role, but certainly once someone becomes a manager, there is that leadership development component because it's, it's, and it's the job of leaders, you know, the textbook definition to provide, you know, vision. 
um, and be able to communicate that vision in a way that others are to feel inspired or compelled to, um, to follow and then have just the clear outcomes. Like these are the outcomes and sort of the managers are in the middle saying, okay, well, here are the sort of the, the inputs and the outputs that we're going to perform. But I think even a manager today, in order to really connect with the new, new folks coming out of school, they have to provide that vision for the project, like this particular project or these series of tasks that are going to get this aspect done. Here's the vision. Here's how this aligns with sort of the, the client's vision and what we do and, and communicate that constantly so that they stay engaged and then give the outcomes like here, this is how we're going to be judged on this by the client. Here's what our scope says and now and give them some flexibility, whether it be how to get it done or, you know, what tools to use, like, it's almost like, you know, a manager needs to have more leadership and a technical person needs to have more management. And I think that it's just everyone, you know, and, and the more leaders are engaged in mentoring and modeling the, the behavior that's necessary, I think that's, that all works to engage um, all folks, but particularly the younger folks who really want to have that meaning in their job and want to see how it's all connected. Yeah, and no, I agree 100%. I think that's that's a really good kind of blueprint of what the newer workforce needs in terms of being successful. And one of the things that we're doing at EMI that's been very interesting from an engineering perspective is we are building this diagnostical tool that we call the current management abilities potential tool. And the reason for this is because I kept asking the same question, like, you know, what makes great engineering managers? And finally, I just kind of said to myself, maybe one of the things we could do with our platform is go back and look at all the interviews that we've done and uh, survey the thousands of engineers that have signed up for our mailing list and ask them, you know, tell us about your manager. Are they great? Are they good? Are they average? Are they bad? And once they tell us that question, they then go through a series of additional questions. So now we understand all the managers that have been classified as great had these characteristics. And we've been doing this for a couple of years and we hired an outside data analytics firm and the data is really interesting and we boiled it down to four key drivers. And one of them was my manager gives me a lot of career growth opportunities, as I mentioned before. Uh, one of them is also, you know, interpersonal, uh, a manager that has this, this ability to interact with engagement, like engagement style. And, you know, there's one in there for project management as well. You know, the fact that they can manage project, but there's such a heavy emphasis on personal engagement, listening, providing career growth. And so we're building this diagnostic tool now where companies can run their engineering managers through this tool and they'll be able to have a really good feel for how they stack up in these four drivers. So they kind of know where to focus their energy on. And it's interesting. I love it as an engineer trying to cross leadership and data together, like is, is, is a fun thing to do. And we're actually in the case study process now. We're looking for firms to put managers through, but What's interesting to me is that it, the same things kept coming up. My manager listened really well to me. You know, my manager asked questions about my own personal life and my own career. And you just start to realize, like, that's what great managers do. They're focused on their teams. They're focused on making their teams successful. And sometimes we try to make leadership very complicated. But really what you boil it down to is, you know, listen to your team, help to make them successful, and everyone's going to do fine. Right. Turns and, out, um, turns out, relationships matter after all. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, but it, you know, and it, but I think that the the biggest struggle that I hear um, from leaders and managers is it's the it's it's the capacity, it, it, and it's the priorities prioritization. Yep. And, and I think that that's the, that's one of the biggest hurdles. Um, we have to realize it's so important. It's as important as a client, especially today. Because, yeah. You know, it's a again, different train of thought, right? I mean, right. that's what you have to try to, you know, anytime you try to develop a new habit, it takes time. And so, you know, going back to what we spoke about before, you know, I think companies that are doing great right now are learning how to reprioritize, you know, what's important to their firms. Whereas, you know, sacrificing everything for clients and projects is probably still very important, but, you know, really focusing on your employees and building them and cultivating the culture and letting them know that you care for them and you support their growth is super important because building those kinds of staff and those kinds of leaders will differentiate you. There's no doubt about it. 
Right. And it is, a, you know, the, the, the talent war and all that stuff. And, you know, you hear oh, the talent, wall is o- talent war is over because the talent is won. You know, I mean, th- there are seasons if it were your session, you do put everything on hold because you've got to serve the client because absolutely that's the key to business. Today, you know, multiple leaders have told me, presidents and CEOs, it's harder to find great talent than it is to find a great client today. And so the key to my business is attracting and retaining my talent because there are clients out there. Um, and, and I think that that's the key. And we don't want to have frustrated talent because you're like, as you said, you know, there are opportunities out there. Uh, they're probably getting the good ones are getting called. I was at a, a recruitment conference uh, last week and you know, the, the, the best talent's getting called every week. It's just a matter of when they engage that phone call and if they're going to be warm enough to, to get an offer that they maybe can't refuse. Um, yeah, I agree with that 100%, Pete. And to add on to your statement, the next biggest challenge behind finding the talent is keeping that talent. Right. So that, um, let's try, I could, I, I could keep talking to you on this um, a great <laughs> topic, but let's maybe try to wrap up. I mean, as a, you know, obviously if, if, if talent is expecting and maybe they've been told or maybe they know what's going on that, you know, hey, training, career development, uh, quarterly check-ins, um, if that is told or they expect it and it doesn't happen, there's frustration. A- any other frustration that you see sort of within the ranks, you know, like the, the few years to 12 years experience, any other frustrations that you hear time and time again, that'd be great for leaders to, to know about and be able to soak in? I think that... One of the things that sometimes frustrates professionals in that age range is they just need to be challenged more. You know, they, if you don't challenge them, then they, it kind of comes off as you don't think they can do it. Right. And so a lot of times when someone leaves a firm, they'll say, you know, I didn't feel like I was challenged enough. It wasn't like I wasn't making enough money. It was, I just wasn't getting the responsibilities that I thought I should have at this level. So I know sometimes for leaders, it's scary to give responsibility to people, but it's also part of what has to be done to build that leader. They have to make their own mistakes once in a while. It's again, it's the price of doing business in a sense, right? And so, you know, there are some things you could do to avoid just saying to someone here, this is your project, go build it. I'm not going to help you. No, that's not what I'm saying, but you can give them small chunks of responsibilities at a time. You can get, like I said before, bring them to a couple meetings, let them get to learn, but then let them go to one on their own or then let them go and call a client and report back to you or send an email to a client. And so I think that you just have to, in addition to supporting their career growth, you do need to challenge them. And you do need to say, I believe you're capable at dealing with this client. I want you to take the lead on this project. I think you're ready for it. Even right. if you think it's a little too early. Right? Well, I mean, I, I, and I've heard it described, you know, if, if you're not a little scared by what you've delegated, you're not really delegating. You're just giving tasks away. And so, you know, perfect, and, yep. and I, I loved when I heard that because it, it made me delegate, you know, a little bit better and probably a little bit more, you know, chunks of work um, and give a little bit more, you know, an, an opportunity to think through something, to come up with a better strategy than what I just told them to do. Um, because it's like that worked for me. But if I think through someone gave me a chunk of work and they were probably nervous as, as all out that, well, what will he come back with? Um, and so I think that's the, I, I've always liked that definition. If you're not a little bit scared, you're just given tasks. You're not really delegating. That's a hundred percent. That's it. And that's, and to your point, I think that's one of the other things you just need to be aware of. Right. And again, relationships are key. So, well, as we close out, I do want to bring up social media because, you know, that's originally how we connected. And I know we've connected a few times since then um, because I just see you as like a social media rock star, you know, and and you're, you know, you're everywhere. You know, you've got a lot of followers on different platforms, LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and they're engineers. So, you know, and there is this sort of the, you know, hey, all the engineers are on um, on LinkedIn, which, you know, to some degree, you know, they are, but they're on other platforms. I mean, wh- what do you, what are you seeing? Like, where are the engineers? Where do they, inter, you know, um, interact the most? And, you know, how is that beneficial to understand so that, you know, leaders and, and firms who want to be able to put their best foot forward and reach out and connect with other engineers? Should they be doing more than, than LinkedIn? And what, what type of things do you think they should be doing based on your constituents? 
Yeah, I mean, LinkedIn, especially here in the US, is going to be your number one platform for engineers, I think, by a long shot. But the thing you have to remember is that engineers are at work all day. They pop on and off LinkedIn. They do some stuff. And then they go home at night like everyone else, and they get on Facebook. So they're really on both. So if you have messaging on both platforms, you're going to be reaching them throughout the day, different times of the day. So, you know, we have done a lot of work. We've got a great social media team at EMI and, you know, they helped us to get out there. And, you know, even like YouTube, we're getting a tremendous amount of uh, views and messages and stuff through YouTube. So I think that they're all over and it's different in different locations, different countries on what platforms they use more. But, you know, if there's one that you wanted to invest in time and energy, I think LinkedIn is a good place that would be my number one pick still because that's where a lot of engineers live. But I think what's more important, Pete, is, you know, how are you using social media and how are you, what are you putting out there? Because I think what a lot of engineering companies do is they put posts out there like, hey, we've been in business for a hundred years. We're a great company. We do all these great things, right? But that's not what people want to see on social media. They want to hear something interesting about you that they don't know, or that's different than other companies, right? It's about telling stories. And so there are engineering firms that do a really good job at this. And I'm seeing more and more of them. And I think that that's what you need to think about doing. So, you know, instead of posting, here's our services page, this is what we do, or here we're hiring in this office, Maybe interview, do a video interview with one of your younger engineers. Why do you like our firm? What's been your most favorite thing about this firm? It's just different. Like that's how younger people want to communicate these days. They don't want to be advertised to. They want to be engaged with. They want to hear interesting stories. And so, you know, obviously with what we do in terms of having all these podcasts and videos, we have plenty of interesting content that we can share with people which is why we've been able to build such a big platform that's really focused around helping engineers. Right. And it is sort of, uh, you know, um, a little bit the, 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 the rich get richer as it relates to if you have a strong culture and strong leadership and you really engage your staff, you probably have the content to be able to go out and share and interview your staff and, and they will be sharing the, the great moments. Um, yeah, but, but, but it's if- true a little bit inconsistent with that. You might not want to have your folks out there uh, because maybe they're going to be out there and then go to a competitor down the road. And so it is in order to really um, be able to do everything that it takes to be attractive and retain and have that great culture, you sort of have to have it. But then when you share it, you get more of it. So it is sort of a, you know, it, it, it's, it's very rich when you get out there and have your things in place or are on a pretty strong ascent towards it. But if it is inconsistent, I mean, inconsistency is, is not good on a lot of levels. Yeah. And that's why it really goes back to what we talked about before, right? The great firms are building that culture, putting some training programs, career path programs in place to build that foundation, make sure that message is, you know, throughout your company and all the leaders are on board with it. And then if you do that, you're going to have good stuff to share on social media. Like that's kind of the first step before you start, you know, sharing stuff out there and stuff like that. But the other thing too, that I would say is invest in someone to manage and learn about social media. I mean, we're in the day and age where like you could have someone depending on the size of your firm that just focuses on your social media marketing means they take classes on all the different social media platforms and they just become an expert at curating and distributing and creating content for your company. I mean, if you had one person dedicated to that, I think it's going to be worth it for you. I mean, just think about it. If you end up hiring people through your social media, if you end up getting a client through your social media, I mean, there's so many things that can happen through social media that will easily pay for the salary of a young professional that's going to do your social media marketing. So, I would say like, don't wait too long to put that position into place in your company, um, depending on the size of your firm, because I think it's valuable. And we've sent uh, some of our staff for training in social media, and it's really made a difference in the way that we're able to communicate with people. Right. And at the end of the day, it's, it's tens of thousands of dollars to bring a new employee in and tens of thousands of dollars um, to pursue a project that you don't get. So it's, at some right. point, if, if you're retaining talent and not having to go out or in your quicker cycle to, to, re, to get the talent uh, and you're more successful with your business development because you've already made the case of who you are, you know, I think you're right. It just pays dividends a lot, you know, 10x, 100x dividends down the road. So Yeah, and um, we just had our first, just to your point, we had a civil engineering company just sponsored the civil engineering podcast recently. It took out a 12-episode sponsorship because they wanted to brand their name out there to assist in recruiting. Right. 
right? I mean, and that's where we're going. It's the content is a platform that's out there for you and your company to use depending on how you want to use it. Right. Yeah. It's going to, it's hard to brand on, you know, good products and services on time and on budget. I, it, that, that's, it's, it, we got to brand on something, right. you know, more, you know, that's absolutely important, but, but, you know, it's absolutely important for every one of our competitors too. Um, so we need to do something above if we're sort of get a brand and, and be attractive um, in the marketplace, in the recruiting space for that matter. So um, we'll be, as we close, uh, before we close, anything else you'd like to share with um, firm leaders? Um, I, I think we covered a lot of important points. Just remember that you have to support your staff, provide those pathways for their success and be there along the way to support them and show them that you're going to do it and do it, of course. And the only thing that I'll mention again, Pete, is that that diagnostic tool that we're, that we're doing, any of your listeners, if they're interested, it's a completely, uh, it doesn't cost them anything right now. We're allowing them to run some managers through it and we're doing it in a 360 style. So their managers will assess themselves, their reports and their supervisor, and they'll get some great feedback to help us finish off the tool. Um, and they can, you know, get to me through our engineering management Institute website or LinkedIn. Of course they can find me on LinkedIn. Um, but you know, give value to your younger professionals and bring them along and they will love you and they will stay there and they will work hard because believe it or not, no matter what they're getting paid, they know the value of good career support. Absolutely. Right. So uh, you mentioned LinkedIn and any other place um, uh, where people can um, check you out and get connected with you. I mean, all of our content is on our website at engineeringmanagementinstitute.org. Our podcasts, our videos, everything is there. And um, I'm all over LinkedIn all the time. And so uh, you can find me there. And I also do author the American Society of Civil Engineers Careers and Leadership blog. I do a column called Ask Anthony. I've answered a lot of uh, AE professionals questions and we've gotten really good feedback on the article. So they can also find my articles there as well. Excellent. Well, I am so appreciative of you um, coming on the podcast and uh, it's such a great um, opportunity and great time connecting with you again. I, um, so thank you. And I look forward to, you know, being able to connect the next time we do. Sounds great, Pete. Thanks for having me. Great. Take care. Thanks for joining us on today's episode of AEC Leadership Today. If you want to stay relevant and effective and take your growth and prosperity to new levels, it's time to take action. To learn more about how Pete can help take you and your firm to the next level, visit www.actionsprove.com. That's www.actionsprove.com. See you next time on the AEC Leadership Today podcast.